Welcome to Spotlight Conversations with voice talent and DJ Donna Reed. Donna talks music and media from her sunny linoleum-free studio. Come on in. Okay, thank you for joining us today. My guest in the studio, trying to think of all the words that can describe her, an advocate, a rock radio legend. Today in the studio, it's Dana Steele. She's going to talk about a book she's written and a play that goes along with that about Alzheimer's. Her mom had it. She writes about how this terrible disease affected her mom and her family. Welcome, Dana Steele. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about the book first, which Surviving Alzheimer's. And it's it was written while your mom, after your mom was diagnosed with the disease. And tell me a little bit about how that book started. Well, it actually, when when mom got the diagnosis, when we got her diagnosis, I, you know, I called my brother, I called my aunts and uncles, I called my nieces and a few close friends, and I, I just got to the point where it's like, my mom was an extremely social person. Mm. I cannot say this a hundred times, mom has Alzheimer's. It was... It was such a shock to to all of us. I mean, we don't even have, I mean, knock on wood, we've been such a fortunate family. We have no cancer. We have no mm. diabetes, uh, you know, in my immediate family. We, we don't even have broken bones. And so I thought, I'm just going to post it on Facebook because I had a, a pretty wide following and a lot of mom's friends, and I'm just going to take the chicken way out and post it on Facebook and then hope the word spreads to whoever needs to know. Mm-hmm. And I, over the next couple of days, Donna, it was, I mean, it wasn't just a few, it was hundreds of responses, not only from friends and distant family, but from complete strangers. You know, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt, my uncle, my wife, my, my husband. And I thought, wow, nobody talks about this. It's a very lonely you know, when you when you get diagnosed with breast cancer, you let everybody know and people throw telephones for you. And, and it, when you say Alzheimer's, people scatter. They disappear. It's too scary. Mm-hmm. I realize people just don't talk about it. And I always advise that people, when you first find out a loved one has Alzheimer's, to immediately reach out to some sort of group, group therapy, Uh, Doctors offer them, hospitals offer them, the Alzheimer's Association can direct you. Uh, But that's what Facebook became for me. Facebook became a community and a form of therapy where when I had questions or when I felt guilt or when I laughed, you know, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Why am I laughing that this community would say, hey, it's okay," or here's an answer or here's what you can do? So they helped you. Oh, unbelievably. And I guess I must have chronicled this for right at right at two years. I think it was two years. Um, uh, yeah, it was. It was, a, I guess, two and a half years. I, over time, would chronicle what was happening with mom. And, you know, I would get just all these great answers. Or I'd get, I, I realized I was becoming um, an advocate and a sounding board and a source of information for people who were just starting the journey um, 
so when when mom did pass, I thought I'm not going to have let her death be in vain. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take all of these um, posts and try to work them into some sort of book. So I always like to tell people the full title is Surviving Alzheimer's with Friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine. Um, because there was a lot of wine involved with all of this. Because people will say, wow, you survived Alzheimer's? It's like, yeah, but it wasn't my Alzheimer's. You were with her every single day getting her through this. Just about. I mean, we were fortunate that we were able to put her first in independent living and mm-hmm. then assisted living and then memory care. Um, there was no way she could live with us. We have a very old Frank Lloyd Wrightish kind of multi-level house at the time, mm-hmm. and it would have been extremely dangerous for her. I, I, you know, I try to tell people... Medicare does not cover long-term care, and you cannot leave an Alzheimer's patient alone. You can't. They will burn your house down. They will roam off. They will hurt themselves. They will hurt somebody else. Um, but my mom was my best friend. We talked every morning, Did no you? matter what. We, I, She was my best buddy, and I was with her almost every day through this. Until it really got towards the end where I couldn't take it and she, this sweet, wonderful, outgoing, amazingly talented woman, got very violent with me. Um, Yeah, she could barely, you know, she couldn't stand up. She could barely sit up. She couldn't feed herself, but she could she could fight me. So it's a it's a crazy ass disease is what I tell people. And so many people are scared to say what I said you know, on Facebook, but I think that comes from, I worked for a radio station where there was no filter, and <laughs> I, I've had no filter since I was 17 years old, and so I would tell people anything. I, I got to tell you, there's a, there's a really, uh, she's retired now, but it was a, a television anchor in Houston, a long-time, well-respected television anchor in Houston, sent me a private message one day and said, you know, uh, this is all so poignant and I've been following and I really appreciate what you're doing, but you need to watch your language. Because one day my post was just the F word, the F word, the F word, the F word. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I just had to tell her, you know, as a writer, sometimes the perfect word is Nirvana and there was no more perfect word for how I was feeling. Yeah. You know, somebody asked me once, what was the lowest point? And it was that day. Really? And my mother was coloring. I walked in. It was the fifth place I had moved her. Yeah. Yeah, we had six moves all together. I had just moved her to this fifth place. Um, and my mother, who taught me how to color and taught me how to paint, and she's very talented, my mother was coloring a squirrel blue outside the lines. And that's what sent me over the edge. Oh, Dana. Isn't that odd? Yeah, I can understand. Yeah, and being the anal retentive person I am, I kept trying to give her the brown crayon, and I kept trying to, and she would just, you know. And I, that's what sent me over. But, I mean, people told me the funniest stories. People told me the best stories. And you have to learn to live in this alternate universe, in this, this alternate reality. And somebody told me a great story about Ronald Reagan. He would get up every morning Nancy Reagan would make his breakfast, he would go outside, he would sweep all the leaves out of the pool, and then he would come inside for lunch, and then he would lay down for his nap. And while he was taking a nap, the Secret Service that was still assigned to him would pour all the leaves back in the pool, 
And when he woke up from his nap, he would go out and he would clean all the leaves from the pool. And then he would go in and have dinner and go to bed and they would pour the leaves back in the pool again. And it worked. Um, and that's what worked for them. Worked. And yeah, so you have to just do what you have to do. I mean, these yeah, stories you so. hear. And so I, I'm remembering from KLOL, you had steel workers, these these so many fans of your radio show at KLOL, but your mom sounds like she was one of your biggest fans. Oh, she was. Oh, she would make me so mad. It would drive me crazy. No matter where we were, you know, we'd be eating out and the waiter would come to the table and my mother would go, do you know who she is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, like, I love it. I just, I, <laughs> she loved the celebrity or, or she would say, do you listen to KLOL? And they would say, why, yes. And she would go, have you ever heard of Dana Steele? And they would go, yes. And she, That's her. It's like, oh, could you please stop that? Was um, she in show business too or a peripheral of it? or a no, no. No, but, you know, as I, as I wrote the book and then I the subsequent play, I said for somebody who wasn't famous, my mother had more brushes with fame she and my dad sold the house I grew up in to Rick Barry when he signed with the Houston Rockets. Okay. But my mom was oblivious. She just knew he was some tall guy. She was like, you know what? You should play <laughs> basketball. Of course, he was on the cover of the Chronicle. It was such a huge story. Um, one day she was sitting next to Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon, at a dinner, and he started cracking up. Now, you have to realize Neil was not, he was a very subdued, mm -hmm. very quiet avoided all celebrity and he cracked up and he goes hey you're the woman who told rick barry he should play basketball oh, um great you know stories. And she worked for john newcomb the tennis grade and okay um, but she yeah she she loved the steel workers i would say she was probably the head steel worker after she passed when did you Oh, when did you decide that, hey, I have to write all this down? I have to put everything I've written about everything she went through, everything I observed, everything the folks on Facebook told me, and put it in a book. I mean, it must have been a hard oh. point, yeah, to get to that point and go, okay, I'm going to write all this down. She died in October of 2015, and I'm a writer. It's what I do. You know, it was probably two months after that, after I settled affairs and things, that I kept sitting down trying to do it, and I just couldn't do it. It was just too hard. And I was having lunch, um, a, a fellow homeroom mom, you know, somebody I've been involved with in the, the kids' mm -hmm. school, uh, reached out to see if I wanted to go to lunch. And at the end of lunch, we, it was just kind of a catch-up. She said, well, is there anything that I can help you with? And I was like, yeah. Could you start going through these two and a half years' worth of posts? Because I can't do it. I just can't do it. And she did, and it took us, you know, months, but we we took the things that we thought were the funniest, the most um, important, the most informative, uh, and, and, then, and then I also included a bunch in the back of the book from a neurologist and an assisted living specialist and an attorney, all the things that I wish I had known. Mm. Um, and then that's kind of what we're going to do. You know, we had to take two and a half years worth of post and... and condense it into a book and now we've taken the book and condensed it into a 90 minute show where you laugh you cry you think you wonder and then at the end of each show we'll do about a 30 minute talk back 
with me and I'm going to try to have a neurologist or somebody from the Alzheimer's Association. Okay. Uh, because there's so much, nobody tells you any of this stuff. No. Nobody tells no. you your mom is going to try to beat you up. Mm-hmm. Nobody tells you not to say the word remember or mom, I told you. Um, nobody tells you what to look for. I mean, my mom hit it, we think, for five to seven years. Do you? That was going to be my she next did question. It. Did you see anything coming or just all of a sudden it was like? Um, no, it was just, you know, she was getting older. She was, you know, late 70s, early 80s. She couldn't sit still through dinner. She couldn't focus on the conversation. But we just thought she was being self-centered and spoiled. Whatever. She was just, <laughs> I love the way you can spin this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's another thing I try to teach people is a lot of times, you you know, I knew something was going on but if you admit there's a problem then you have to be a part of the solution and I was not there yet Hmm. I was still working my kids were younger they weren't that young they were teens but um I just I think I just didn't want to deal with it until after my dad my dad passed in December of 2012 and that's when we really knew something was wrong was because that was mom's routine. That's how she kept going was because she had notes on how to do everything and she had a routine. Mm -hmm. And when daddy died, that threw her out of the routine. And I moved her into an independent living facility near me um, because I could see she needed more help. But I, again, just thought it's because she was getting older and um, it just got worse and worse and worse. Do you have siblings? Anybody to help you with this? I have a brother. I have a younger brother who um, early on had, he was, you know, he was an hour and a half away. He um, didn't want to accept it. Um, He was going through a divorce. I was really mad at him. And I see this a lot that, you know, one, one person in the family does everything and the other people you know, oh, that's not really happening, and then they argue over things. My brother was not there, and he really wasn't accepting of the fact that she had Alzheimer's and how bad it was, and I really resented him for that until my son, who was, he must have been 15 then, out of the blue, he said, and he's the one who said, Mom, you know, Uncle Scooter is, is, he's, you know, he's, he's geographically financially and emotionally not in any position to help right now. Wow. What a great thing for your kid to tell you. That's great. Yeah. I mean, I just felt the anger flow out of my body. Good job for you as a mom teaching him that because people don't just spout off with those words of wisdom. Sometimes our kids surprise us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, today I'd like to give him away, but... um, (laughs) Tomorrow, I'm sure I'll love him again. <laughs> How many sons you have? A couple of them, right? I have a 31, uh, getting ready to be 32-year-old stepson and bonus daughter, my daughter-in-law. And um, my middle one's 24. He's the one who said, you know, he was the one that was so poignant and so smart about all of this. And um, and then my baby turns 21 tomorrow. Wow. Goes by. You're on the road. You're not in Houston. You've escaped the heat. Bravo to you. I have. I have. It was 48 (laughs) degrees this morning. I'm in upstate Montana in a house in the woods. Um, 
Actually, right now I'm in the parking lot of a coffee shop so that I could get a signal so that I could talk to you. <laughs> that's okay. You're beating the Houston heat, so that's fine. You're back in Houston soon, I believe in October, and the pandemic yeah. is still going on. The play is finished, I'm guessing, by then. How How is this all going to work? Well, right before, the, um, right before uh, all this happened, we were just starting to make a schedule to do table reads. This is kind of how it works, whether it's a television or a movie or a play. You do a table read and work out some of the logistics and you find out where the continuity is broken and that sort of thing, what works, what doesn't work. And then once you do that, then you move to a rehearsal space, not necessarily a theater, where then you can sort of block things out and go, okay, well, that's not going to work. So by the time you move into a theater, you pretty much have a week's worth of rehearsals and you go. So we were just getting ready to start table reads when all this happened. So we decided that we would do it on, I had already cast, it's just me and another actor. I'd already cast the actor. I adore him. He lives in San Antonio. And we started doing some Zoom conversations. And then another person who helps me with social media said, you guys should record these Zoom sessions. So we did. Uh, My writer and director took the play and divided it into nine episodes. Um, number nine uh, is the, the finale, which mm-hmm. uh, we just edited. And I got to tell you, it was hard. I bet. I thought it would be just fine reading it. And uh, I actually, I was crying. My co-star was crying. We had to stop and start over again. Um, and then the last episode, it's 10 episodes on YouTube called The Woman in the Mirror. And you find out who the woman in the mirror is about midway through. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last episode is just all of us talking about it. My co-author my director, my actor, and my brother. And it's all five of us talking about, you know, what has what it was like for all of us. Like, my co-star is 24 years old. He's never known anyone with Alzheimer's. And he said, you know, I, I treat older people differently now than I did before I started this play. I'm more patient. So I thought that was kind of cool that he's taken some lessons away from this. Looking forward, what do you see after people start watching this play? The number one goal of the play is to give caregivers the attention they deserve Mm -hmm. and give caregivers the information they need. And the number one question I want to answer for caregivers is, yes, you are doing everything just right. There's a lot of guilt and a lot of questioning that goes into caring for a loved one and making these decisions. Like, I moved my mom six times. That means five times I had to decide what to throw out. It's awful. The people that she stayed with, they were not on the same wavelength as you, or they weren't doing everything you felt they needed to do? I'm sure you had a neurologist as well working with you. Right, well, she... You know, when she was diagnosed, the doctor was horrible. Doctor had no bedside manner whatsoever. No, I had no idea what was coming. But I had already moved her into independent living. She had her own little apartment mm-hmm. near me. In a, in a, it was a independent living. You mm-hmm. know, come and go as she pleased. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the day she tried to walk down the stairs holding her walker we realized she needed to be downstairs in assisted living. And then when she started ramming the man across the hall with her walker, we decided she needed a a better level of care. And I thought, you know, but nowhere along this 
process is anybody going, oh, it's going to get really bad, so you better find a place that has A, B, and C. So every time I moved her, I thought, okay, this is where she'll spend the rest of her life. And then mm-hmm. she would get worse. And we moved her into memory care because it was getting really bad. Uh, there, she didn't have enough care. I would come and she would have a bloody eye or a bloody a black eye or a bloody hand. And I was like, okay, I got to get you out of this place. And nobody would know what had happened. Um, and the fifth move was to a, um, a private home. Only eight patients, a lot more care, a lot calmer, a lot quieter. But there was a man that looked like my dad, and she kept throwing peanut M&Ms at his head. So, or whatever she had in her hand. So we moved her to an all-women. It was eight women in a private home. It looked a lot like the house that I grew up in, okay. a lot of the same colors. Mm-hmm. And she seemed much calmer there. So... That's another thing. Each time we move her in the play, the lights get dimmer and dimmer to the point it's just kind of like me and the three pictures she had. Because you have to keep getting rid of stuff. Right, you're right. in a full apartment, and then you're in kind of a half an apartment, and then you're in a room, and then you're in a smaller room. It's, oh, it's awful. So, What advice um, would you give some... Been, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it's been very cathartic for me to realize that I still had these incredible feelings of guilt. Um, that I'm still working through, that did I do the right thing? Because I had answers to everything. I knew the bank account. I knew logins. I, I knew everything. We were we sat down. I had all the insurance. I had all the paperwork. But she didn't have savings, much of it. She didn't have long-term care insurance. Mm-hmm. And we had never discussed, if you become incapacitated, you can't live with me, where would you like to live? Have the answers to these questions. Have the conversation long before it gets to that point. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, most families won't do it. And you know what? We're all going to die. And mm-hmm. if, unless you've found a way out and haven't told the rest of us, mm-hmm. if you can have the, there's 25 questions in the back of the book. Everything from, you know, do you have a safety deposit box to what do you want me to do with your dog? I always told her I'm not taking that damn dog. And I'll tell you, I still have that damn dog. That is, the dog has a name, Sandy, but we call it that damn dog. <laughs> This chihuahua is going to outlive all of us. You're the only person I know that can take something like this and just turn it and make it. You got to laugh through it. You got to smile through it. And I don't want you to feel bad about it is what you're trying to tell people. Uh, yeah, you you do have to laugh. You just, you have to. And you know what? Somebody said to me, if you don't laugh, you cry. Choose which one. So your advice to people if they just find out this month that a loved one has Alzheimer's is... Buy the book. Buy the book or bo- borrow the book um, and get the answers to those 25 questions. Get a power of attorney, a medical power of attorney. Um, make sure you're the designated person to talk to on Social Security because government agencies won't take powers of attorney. Um, a lot of banks and, and stocks and bonds and financial institutions will no longer take power of attorney. You have to have a specific document filed with them. Um, and, and there's so much to take care of. So... If you can have all that done, then when the inevitable happens, then you can just mourn and then remember and laugh and and reminisce and not be spending the next six months trying to, you know, people have safety deposit boxes and nobody knows where they are. Crazy. So give me the name of your book, the full title. 
I love it. Surviving Alzheimer's with friends, Facebook, and a really big glass of wine. Available on Amazon. And by I'm the sure. way, go ahead. On yeah, on Amazon. And uh, oh, I was going to say we were going to debut the play at the Match Theater Complex in Houston, Texas, on um, in November. And it looks like it'll be in the spring now. We kind of are waiting for COVID and um, vaccines and all of that. So if you just follow the Woman in the Mirror play on Facebook or Instagram, mm-hmm. that's where we will announce when the play is going to be. Otherwise, you can go watch the Nine Table Reads on YouTube. And it's, it's the same name, The Woman in the Mirror. Thank you for coming in today, Dana. And enjoy your time in Montana. Cool and refreshing. While well, we're sweating. Sweating it here in Houston. I have I have a pet deer. I swear I do. I go and actually I have three pet de- deer. I have uh, Bogey Bacall, and then there's a deer that has a scar. So we call we were calling her Scar Butt, but that just doesn't sound very nice. So we have Scarlet, Scarlet, Bogey, and Bacall, and I have to go buy another fifty pound bag of deer feed um, because apparently I have pet deer now. Now, I got to ask you, uh, what's the connection in Montana? Just a beautiful place you're driving through? It looks gorgeous. Um, my my late agent and good friend um, has had a place here for 20 years, um, back into the mountains. And his widow called us about three months, two months ago, three months ago, and said, you know what, COVID's getting a little crazy in Houston. You guys need to go. Um, so we thought, what the heck? We both work from home as long as we can find an internet connection somewhere. So we, we literally have 400 foot ethernet cables strung all over the house. I'm sure there's nothing safe about what we've done. And I'm like, I'm just going to go sit at the coffee shop and talk to Donna. Uh-huh. I'm going to talk to you in the spring again. And when the play is in Houston, because this will be behind us. Wonderful. And you can tell me yeah. everything I need to know. We'll do like a premiere party. Uh, on a podcast, and uh, you can tell me everything like people it. can expect. Yeah, so you'll still be in Montana, or you'll be back in Houston by then. Like, uh, no, we're gonna we're gonna go back to Houston uh, the first of October and make sure we vote, make sure our votes count, and then I think we uh, are gonna head to. Um, we have a, a rental in Palm Springs that I think we're gonna head to in November and just hide out there for a few months. When are you gonna run for office, Dana? You know, been there, done that. Uh, I'm so glad I did it. I feel like I really did something for my country. Um, by I ran for Congress in 2018 um, in a district that I knew I couldn't win, but no, nobody would do it. And if we don't, if we don't have healthy competition, then we don't have a democracy. Um, it was fascinating. It was terrifying. Um, I was pretty much under, I've been under protection up until a few months ago. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a wild ride, and it's brutal on the candidate. It's brutal on the candidate's spouse, and it's brutal on the, on the kids. I think between Alzheimer's and Congress, my kids are like, that's it. <laughs> no more. So we're all just kind of hanging out together and enjoying each other's company. Houston radio legend, <laughs> thanks for coming in today on Spotlight Conversations. It's been great. Yay! Thank you for having me. That was good. You've been listening to Spotlight Conversations with Donna Reed. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>